From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Right from the beginning of the pandemic, frontline family violence workers warned of the potential impact for women, especially those on temporary visas. Because they're unable to access social security payments and public housing, escaping violence in a lockdown becomes almost impossible. Today, Gina Rushton on the women falling through the safety net and the workers trying to help. Gina, can you start off by telling me about this letter that was sent in April by frontline workers to the federal government? Yeah, so this was an open letter sent to federal and state ministers in April, urging them to act immediately and allow women on temporary visas experiencing violence to be granted access to Medicare, social security, free legal advice, free interpreting services and housing to keep them safe during the coronavirus outbreak. Gina Rushton wrote about domestic violence and temporary visa holders for the Saturday paper. Renata Field's organisation, Domestic Violence New South Wales, was one of those who signed it. And she talked to me about how distressing it was for workers to witness the systems failing these women and children. Huge frustration that the systems are just so broken and that people can't access supports that they so vitally need for their safety and the safety of their children. She basically said any woman needs to make a set of excruciating estimates about her physical and financial safety before leaving a violent partner. But the lack of social security for temporary visa holders renders this calculus almost impossible. All too often, um, people realise that they aren't eligible for any support and so they end up going back to abusive partners and facing harm and um, potential um, death, sadly. And all of that, of course, has only been heightened by the pandemic. So did this letter get much of a response? Not really. The New South Wales and Victorian governments did respond in some way to some of these services by uh, foreshadowing that there might be a subgroup created to report directly into COAG, the COAG Women's Safety Council, on what they said was a complex issue. But of course, that doesn't really solve anything right now. DB New South Wales last week surveyed workers who currently have clients on temporary visas experiencing violence, and the results are really worrying. 45% reported their clients had experienced more violence since the pandemic began, and 60% had less access to income, food and essentials. Uh, We know that a lot of people who are experiencing domestic and family violence are unable to reach out for help at this time because it's simply not safe to do so. Uh, They're locked at home with the people who use violence towards them and accessing help is really hard. On Tuesday, May 19, dozens of frontline domestic violence workers dialed into a webinar to discuss the challenges facing culturally and linguistically diverse women, especially those on temporary visas trying to escape violence. And there was actually a Red Cross worker on the call because Red Cross has been given some money to assist people on temporary visas during the pandemic. And that's not even specifically for those experiencing violence. But this worker basically said at least half of Australia's more than 2 million temporary visa holders will need assistance, but the organisation only has enough to help about 20,000. I guess the really um, concerning thing on that call was that the conversations we were having didn't seem new at all. Um, They're conversations that people have had for years and advocacy that people have been doing for years. However, the supports and resources from government just haven't been allocated. Even on the video call, you could hear the weariness 
in the voices of these frontline workers as they just described how their clients struggled to access adequate support during the pandemic. Um, And there was certainly a lot of frustration and sadness on the call from workers who were trying as best they can to keep women and children safe. But without the funding to do that, it's really, really challenging. And then the very next day on Wednesday, May 20th, their worst fear, I guess, for these women became a reality. Can you tell me what happened? Yeah, so the night after the webinar, they found out about the death of 27-year-old international student Kamaljeet Sidhu. Police were called to Ramona Street in Quakers Hill at 6.30 last night after the body of 27-year-old Kamaljeet Sidhu was found in an upstairs bedroom. She was allegedly stabbed to death in her home in Sydney's northwest, and her husband, Baltej Lalna, has been charged with her murder. 31-year-old Baltej Lalna was flanked by police at Blackdown Hospital this morning, accused of murdering his own wife. Police had actually taken out an apprehended violence order against him four weeks earlier. Despite the concerns, her husband was still permitted to live under the same roof. And... Renata Field told me that there was a huge amount of frustration at having brought up these issues for so long and not having many solutions to offer these extremely marginalised women. She said that hearing the news about Kamaljeet was just crushing. Uh, I was just crushed, to be honest, Um, and it certainly took me a couple of days to bounce back because I was just so upset. Um, And particularly having had that meeting and heard so earnestly from workers across the state who are doing such an incredible job at providing supports. It's just so infuriating that the systems are so broken. And Gina, is this a case where the system that is supposed to help women like Harmaljeet failed? We obviously don't know enough about this woman's unique situation, but I think it's very clear that this system is not easy to access in any way for women like Kamaljeet. These women can't access public housing in Australia. They're rarely able to get into refuges because demand is so high. And frontline workers told me that these women often need to stay for longer periods of time because of their conditions of their visas. They can't work more than 20 hours a week. So when you look at it, the lack of financial support and housing available to women on temporary visas, it makes it almost impossible to leave a violent relationship. At the very least, you need somewhat of a safety net when you're leaving someone who you could be socially and sometimes financially dependent on. And that safety net of income and shelter and social support just really isn't there for these women. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. As a a 7am listener... You're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. 
simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Gina, we're talking about women who are in Australia on student visas, and one of the conditions of those visas is that they're only allowed to work for 20 hours a week. So what kind of a strain does that create? Yeah, I um, I spoke to Kitu Randawa. Okay, my name is Kitu Randawa, and I'm the project lead and founder of the Indian Subcontinent Crisis and Support Agency. And she said that often women on student visas rely on their partner to help pay their student fees? Generally, it's the partner then works full-time and supports the students. And these fees are not cheap as international students. I think everybody knows that. And it's obviously important that these fees are paid because it's a condition of their visa. So that financial dependence is, a, I guess, an extra complicating factor here. If she reports him and he then either gets deported or, you know, they start living separately and he leaves it, and she won't get access to his money to support her visa conditions. So outside of his financial support, she's going to find it very difficult to support herself. So, Gina, what in effect is actually happening in our community to help women in financially precarious situations who are trying to leave a violent partner? What is the reality for them? Basically, everyone I spoke to who works in domestic and family violence or refuges or community legal centres has this really haphazard approach of just trying with whatever few resources they had to work around the system to find these women support in any way they could. So when she would come to someone like us, then we'd try and work out if she knew anybody in the community we could link her with, who could give her accommodation, maybe help to find work. So whether that's waiving the small fee that many refuges charge or letting someone stay a bit longer or trying to find a bed with a community member or offering free legal advice. Encourage her to maybe get some money from home, from her parents to just support her for a few weeks until we could help her find accommodation. For the majority of these women, their options are extremely limited. Broadly, in Australia, you need to be on Centrelink to get public housing and neither of those things are really available to these women. So many of them essentially rely on someone like Kitu who asks community members to offer a spare room temporarily. And that's really at the goodwill of the people in the community or your own networks where you ask someone and say, look, I know you've got a spare room, can you let her have it for a while? And slowly she would then rebuild her life. And I think I think having one of these stresses, whether that's not having free medical care or not having secure housing when you're experiencing violence would be quite overwhelming. And I just, I can't really imagine what it feels like to have so many of these barriers at once or how helpless you must feel trying to help someone else navigate that as a support worker. There still is that fundamental problem that when we get a client who's a temp, you know, either on student visa or is a partner of somebody who's on some other temporary visa, that there is no money anywhere to even start them off. There's no support. And what that does is that opens not just women, but even men, up to exploitation. And support workers who you've spoken to, do they have much hope, do you think, of of the situation changing and, and more resources or, you know, more access for women in these positions? Look, I think these are workers who are used to fighting for resources um, for all of the women they see, not just women on temporary visas. Um, But I do think they're hopeful, I guess, about this subgroup being created that will report to COAG uh, because it at least gives them a voice on this issue and, and a kind of direct voice to government. So I think that's a start. 
Gina, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news, the US President Donald Trump has threatened to deploy the military if states don't use the National Guard to shut down the George Floyd protest movement. The threat has drawn angry reactions from governors and senators across the US who have called it illegal and shameful. Unrest continues to escalate across the country, and as of yesterday, at least 5,600 people had been arrested. Police in Washington, D.C. used tear gas and rubber bullets on peaceful protesters ahead of a photo opportunity for the president. Reporters and news photographers covering the protests have also described being roughed up, arrested and shot with projectiles by police. While some protests remain peaceful, others have escalated into violence and there are reports of widespread looting in New York. At home, there have been calls to acknowledge the history of violence against Indigenous Australians. More than 400 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have died in custody since the end of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody in 1991. A solidarity protest in Perth drew several hundred people, with more protests planned in Australian cities in coming days. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.